Welcome home, friends. This is Pastor David, and you are listening to the Community Life Podcast. We pray this message is an encouragement to help build your faith and focus your life toward Jesus and His way. We also hope that this podcast is an open door of invitation for you to come and see what God is up to here at Community Life. So plan a visit. We'd love to meet you in person. Lastly, if this is your church home or you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so by visiting madeforcommunity.com forward slash give. Thanks for listening. Hello. Hey. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you're with us this morning. Man, Carter and Rebecca do such a great job with announcements. They, they really do, and I'm also glad that I'm not doing it. So it's a both win. So what is something that every human needs? What is something every human needs? Food, Wi-Fi, yes, very important. <laughs> not quite that high, lower on the Maslow's pyramid of needs. Um, but we might think about food, oxygen, water, Wi-Fi. We might think of safety and shelter, appropriate care. These are all very important things, of course. But moving up a little bit further on the pyramid of needs, and not quite as high as Wi-Fi, is, is the need to belong. We all need to belong somewhere. When I was about to get married, I was living on campus in Riverside at CBU, my alma mater. And I was driving out here a couple times a week. And Brooke was going to Azusa Pacific, our sworn enemies. But we were, we were Romeo and Juliet. We were going to make it, except for without the dying part. Um, but, but we were like, OK, we're about to get married. We've got to figure out where we're going to live. And because we couldn't live in Azusa, because I was going to church out here and working here. And we couldn't live in Riverside, because I was even further away. So we had to figure out where we were going to live. And, and as we went on this apartment search, we, we looked everywhere. We, we looked in uh, Covina, which is way far away all the way as far as Tahunga, but that was too far away for Brooks School. So we were just trying to figure it out. We were like North Pasadena. We were just looking everywhere. The only other problem was the budget wasn't very high either. And uh, no complaints, but you know, you got to figure it out. I just had a few priorities when I was trying to figure out where we were going to live. One of those priorities was that it was safe. Not for me. I'm not, most people look at me and like, ah, I don't want to mess with that guy, you know, because I'm very intimidating. But more for my wife, you know, just, you know, of course. Um, but also, that, again, that it was close to church and close to the school, because it was a priority that we weren't spending all of our time in our first year of marriage driving back and forth away from each other. And, and, and so we were trying to figure out where we would spend the first few years of our marriage, because we wanted to enjoy them. We wanted to experience them. We wanted a lifetime of memories, hopefully not a lifetime in the same place, but a lifetime of memories nonetheless. Plus, I guess it had to allow for cats because Brooke loves cats. I love our cats, but I don't love cats. So anyways, there's just a couple of things we were trying to figure out. But the thing I didn't really consider in all of my priorities and all of my lists of things that I needed for where we were going to live was the difference between an apartment, a house, and a home. Because you can live somewhere without it being home. You, you can live somewhere. You can, you can occupy a space day after day after day without it really being home. And, and I realized this very quickly, that, that, that home is more than just a location, an address. Home is a place that a person is, where Brooke is. 
Home, home is where I'm committed to, where I continue to go to over and over. Home is somewhere I contribute to. It's something that I bring something to the table. That, that Brooke isn't doing all the chores while I sit around. That, 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 and if you're a husband, that's free advice. Don't do that. Um, but, but I had to contribute. It's something I, in order for it to really be a home for both Brooke and me, we both had to contribute. It had to be a place I was comfortable and, and happy to bring people over to. I had to be proud and for my community to be a part of it. And see, these decisions moved it from being merely an apartment to becoming a home. But, but the reality is, is that God has placed this innate need for home in each and every one of us. In, in Welsh, they have this word, and I'm going to mispronounce it, so if you know, know Welsh, please don't judge me. It's hiraeth. Hiraeth. And the word, the closest English translation we have is homesickness. And at first was starting to be used in the 13th century when Wales fell to the country of Britain. I'm not going to bore you with all the details because you don't like history, but basically Wales was a country that was conquered by Britain. And when this happened, they were basically had to rechange how they lived their lives, as people who are conquered often do. And, and then they begin to use this word because they longed for a simpler time. But, but that word has grown to mean more than just missing the home you grew up in. It really is this homesickness for maybe even a home you've never been to. That this, it's this the idea that even if you've never experienced home, you still yearn for it. And that's all of us, if we're honest, that, that God has placed this innate need in each of us to belong somewhere, to have somewhere to call home. And even though we were created with this need because of the fall, because of our brokenness, because of sin, not all of us experience it. And, and, and so God's solution for this is, comes through Jesus, right? Jesus comes, he dies for us, he dies in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. And he rises from the grave and he creates this forever family called the church. And, and this forever family is God's house. And we'll explain a little bit more about what that is in a second. But, but, but this house that God has made of his people, we have to decide, will it become our home? And today I want to talk about what that looks like. What does that even mean? Like house, home, Jeff, you're using words that are synonyms. I don't understand. I'll explain that. But essentially, this is what God's invitation to you today is. God wants you to make his house your home. He wants it to be a home you can call your own. In fact, this is, I think, the God's goal for his people, that one of the things he wants to do in our lives is give us a home to call our own. And I think all this connects back to this series that we've been calling Open Doors, where we've been looking at the practice and priority of hospitality that God has given to us through Jesus. That this, this practice, this priority that God has given is so important. It's so important. I wouldn't be up here this, here this morning if I didn't believe it was vital. But in case you missed the past couple weeks or you just need a recap, um, the first sermon in the series that Pastor David uh, spoke to us, he taught to us, was, was a sermon called Open Doors. Or the door, sorry, excuse me. That's not what he said. Rewind. I was at home with a baby. I'm sorry. You know, half eye open. Um, but the sermon was called The Door is Always Open. There we go. And, and so this sermon, this, this message was really emphasizing the fact that in God's house, the door is always open. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the reality is, is that God is inviting people home. He wants people to come home. He's not setting a bunch of rules and, and regulations to stop us from coming in. Instead, he's doing everything possible to invite the world back in. And, and then this reality is supposed to extend to us and through us, that we as his people, as his family, that we reflect that image that this isn't a burden to open the door. It's not, it's not a burden that God has called us to be the ones who open the door. No, this is a reflection of what God is like. 
that as we remember that each of us in this room right now, even if you are a part of God's family, at one point you were not. At one point someone had to invite you in. At one point you had to step to the door. At one point the door needed to be open for you. And so if that's true, then you need to be a part of that for others. And that's part of what it means to be a church that prioritizes hospitality. But last week, Pastor David followed that up with a message called The Table is Always Set. And this was focusing on how each week we provide things that are valuable, things that matter, like food that's nourishment for the soul. And and, and as we do this, whether it's the coffee we pour, that's hopefully good. No, it is good. Um, But the the, the way that the people serve the church kids upstairs, that the message, the music, the friendly faces, the way that we run the production team, every piece of it is valuable, contributing to giving this important news to people. That each piece of what we do every single Sunday is supposed to be helpful and good for the people who show up. But not only is it supposed to be good for us, but it's supposed to be understandable for everyone that the lowest common denominator needs to define the language we use, that whoever doesn't know anything should be able to walk away understanding something, rather than those of us who've been inside for a long time knowing and understanding everything. Because at the end of the day, good food is useless if people don't eat it. It's useless if if people don't eat it. If it's no good to be eaten, it's no good for anyone. And that's the reality is that God has set the table. It's always set. It's always inviting people in to eat. That's what we do when we do communion. We're inviting people to the table of understanding what Jesus is like. And that's why we do it every single week, because Jesus invites you to that table. And both of these weeks, I, I, I mean this, I'm not just saying this, they're filled with really important reminders and challenges that each of us need to be reminded of. And so I would encourage you, if you missed it, or maybe you just have forgotten a little bit, to go back this week. It's only an hour and a half. If you drive 30 minutes each way, that's three days. Um, So I would encourage you, just take some time to listen to it. But building off of these emphases, I want us to look today at at the message I've called A Home to Call Your Own and how that affects and and, uh, informs our hospitality. And one of the important starting points, I already said it, but I want to show you where it's at. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says this. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That, that we are God's house. This the scriptures say it. We are God's house. We are the dwelling place of God on the earth. That, 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 that's really important. That we as the followers of Christ are his house. And, and we, we, there's two things that we need to understand first as, as I back up a little bit. Is that God is two things. He's omnipresent omnipresent, and that's a big word, but it just basically means God is everywhere at once. God is everywhere at once. There's nowhere you can go where God is not. The psalmist says it this way, there's nowhere I can go to outrun your presence. If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. That we cannot outrun the presence of God, and this is good news. It's not God's omnipresent judgment, but God's omnipresent love that seeks you out. But it also teaches another reality that God is specifically and specially present in certain places in the world. And I know this doesn't entirely make sense, but, but God's special presence is more tangibly and mysteriously and gloriously present in certain places at certain times. And in the Old Testament, or the first half of your Bible, the, there's two specific places this happens. It's in the tabernacle, so the tent that they take with them as they go out of Egypt into the promised land, that, that's God's presence was specifically there on this box called the Ark of the Covenant. If you watch the Indiana Jones movies, it's that, yes, it's that Ark. 
And I don't know if it kills Nazis. I don't know. We've never tried. But, but it, that's the box that I'm talking about. That's where God's specific presence is. And then when they built the temple, they put that box inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies. And then this Holy of Holies was basically a room that was divided by a veil that people could only enter at one time during the year, and it could only be one person, and it had to be the high priest, and they had to be in good standing with God, otherwise they'd die. So this very specific special presence in the Old Testament was only in one place for only one person and only at one time. This is what it meant for God's special presence in the Old Testament. But when we see in the New Testament, when Jesus is crucified, the Bible says this. It says the veil is torn. That's what we were singing about earlier, right? The veil is torn. That signifying that God's presence is no longer limited to one place in Jerusalem, but was moving to another specific place. And the rest of the New Testament goes on to argue that, th that the place where God is present is amongst his people. That, that, that we, as his house, as his temple, what that means is that God's special presence is with us right now. That the place that no one could go into, except for one person at one time during one part of the year, no one could enter into but one specific person, that that special presence is with us here and now. That that reality of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection has changed everything. A place that no one could enter into, God now invites you into. A place that no one could go, God now wants you to be. This is what Jesus has done. Now, how does that inform hospitality? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because God has chosen this place to dwell as his house, he's inviting us to make it our home. We have to choose whether it will be our home. We must see and decide and commit to making the gathering of God's people a home to call our own. And like I said, many of us have lived in places where maybe that we didn't feel at home. Maybe it was your own house growing up that you didn't feel at home. Maybe that you've gone through in the past couple of years, maybe you've had roommates who make your apartment not feel like home. But, but the reality is that God doesn't want his people to feel homeless. However, God's will for his people, he doesn't want us to just merely meet with each other just to meet with each other. Jesus was physically homeless on earth so no one would be spiritually homeless again. Jesus was physically homeless on earth so no one has to be spiritually homeless ever again. No, God wants this place to be a home for his people, a place where all those who follow Jesus can consider this their home, a home they can call their own. But still the question remains, how do we do it? Well, today we'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. It'll be up on the screen in a moment. And it looks at how God, speaking to the Israelites who are in exile, how he informs them to make home in exile. But as you turn there, as you wait for it to be on the screen, I just want to give a quick background. This book was written during the time leading up to and including the fall of Judah. Judah, so if you know a little bit about the, the uh, Old Testament, but if you don't, that's okay. Uh, Israel comes out of Egypt, right? God delivers them out of Egypt. He sends the plagues. He brings them out through the, on the dry land between the waters split. And when they get there, they become this, this nation of Israel. I'm, I'm recapping a lot. Then David becomes king and Solomon becomes king and then Solomon's son divides the kingdom, right? So there's lower kingdoms called Judah. The upper kingdoms called Israel. And, and, and Israel goes, falls away from God pretty quickly, but Judah sticks around. But later on, they too fall into the same problems as Israel. They start worshiping other gods who aren't really gods. They start bowing down to these wooden objects. And, and as they do this, they've rebelled against God's calling on them because God has called his people to worship only him because only worship of him is good. All other forms of worship become slavery. Only worshiping God equals freedom. And so because of this, as they fall into the slavery to, to idols and worship of idols, God sends them into exile. 
He never broke his relationship with them. This was just the consequences of living apart from their calling. And so Jeremiah, the writer of this book, he's often called the weeping prophet, and rightfully so. If all of your people were sent off to this foreign land and had to live there for 70 years, you'd be sad about it too. And so he writes this book called Jeremiah, and he also writes Lamentations, which is where he does more of the crying part. But in the midst of this horrible news, Jeremiah, Jeremiah gives this section of hope, this section filled with hope about what God's plan is for them in the midst of their exile. So it should be on the screen. It's Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. It says this, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled. That's important to get. God has sent them into exile. It's not an accident. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray for the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. As the people are in Babylon, they're in the midst of their exile from the land that God had promised to them. They're told by God to what? To make it home. What? That's an interesting perspective, right? Like, in the midst of what no one wanted, God calls them to make it home. This would have been just as surprising to the original hearers as it is to us. God wanted the people that he had called by his name into his promised land to be at home in exile. But think about the direct connections that it makes with us today. Even as Christians today, we believe that Jesus is coming back. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus will one day return, and he will renew and remake and recorrect and resurrect everything. That when he comes back, he's going to set up a whole new kingdom that will change the whole of human history, that, that the new heavens and new earth will be established. And we await that promised land when heaven comes to earth. We're awaiting that day. And that is our promised land. That is our home, in a sense. That our home is the heaven that comes in the new heavens. And, and the Bible makes that pretty clear. But as we await that day, as we wait until Jesus comes to fulfill that promise, we're living in exile. That we're awaiting the day when Jesus will bring it all about. But until then, God calls us, just like the Israelites, to make our home here. Because God's not done with it. Just like God wasn't done with what he was doing in Babylon, God's not done with our Babylon either. And we're not there yet. So we know this, right? So as we await this fulfillment of God's promise, and, and, and like we just sang about, all God's promises are yes and amen. We can have confidence in his promise, but we await his promise. And, and as we await that, we were called to make this place our home. Specifically, in, in regards to hospitality, we are to be God's house that we call home, making God's house, this specific church, a home to call our own. And we do this in four steps. I know I'm not... I'm breaking the Baptist way. There's four, not three. I'm sorry. But four steps, and the four steps are easy to remember. I'm sorry. I can cut one out, I guess, on the fly. Um, but four steps, and it's this. Stick around, work the ground, plant deep roots, see the fruit. Stick around, work the ground, plant deep roots, and see the fruit. First, we stick around. Look with me again at verses four and five. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan, plan to stay. Their exile wasn't an unfortunate oversight by God. It wasn't a bad day for God. It wasn't that God got beat by Babylonian gods. It wasn't that God had failed. God sent them into exile, and he says, make your home there. No Israelite would have wanted to hear those words. No Israelite wanted to hear that this is where they're going to be for 70 years. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it, but that was where God had them. 
And so there's a, there's a sermon all in there all by itself. Pastor David preached a couple years ago, I think, maybe a year ago. It's called Make Home Where God Has You. That's not what we're going to talk about today. But, we're, but what we are going to look at specifically is how God has put us right here, right now. Where you are is where God wants you to be. Where you are is where God wants you to be. Until God calls you somewhere else, be where you are. Until God opens another door, learn to live in that room. And this is what God is calling us to do, is to make ourselves at home where he has us. And this can affect a lot of different things, but specifically in the church. If this is where God has called you to be, be here. If this is God's church for you, be here. Be here, stick around. Stick around. This is, God wants all of us to find a house of his, one of his churches. There's one universal church, but there's many different locations. But if you're a part of this church, if this is where God is calling you, make your home here. Because if we can't be committed, how are we ever going to invite the world to be committed? If we can't be committed to God's family, how will we ever invite other people to be a part of it? And this isn't meant to condemn, but only to help us reflect. The world will never call God's house their home if we can't. The world will never call God's house their home if we can't seem to. Because if we can't commit, if we can't stick around, we can never call others to commit either. It's just not right to be hypocritical in that sense. Sticking around means that we need to be committed. We need to, we need to make a priority to be committed to this body. And part of being committed is being consistent. The difference between a vacation home and a regular home is how often you're there. And, 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 and the, I don't want, I'm not trying to judge anybody. It's not the law. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is, is that you can never be fully committed if you're not fully consistent. You can never be fully committed if you're never fully consistent. And then I realize that sometimes life happens. If you get COVID, don't be here. <laughs> if you think you might have the flu, call it in. Like, just call me. I'll, okay, I'll pray for you. Don't worry. I won't make you feel bad. I know life happens. Just a couple weeks ago, my wife had a baby. And that's really good news. But it also means we shouldn't be going anywhere for a couple weeks. And so I missed a couple weeks. Life happens. God is not mad or surprised by reality. God knows that there's reasons. But is the reason... Prudence or lack of commitment? Is the reason why we're not here prudence? Is it wisdom? Is it following what makes sense? Or is it a lack of commitment? Because if it's a lack of commitment, that's not what God's calling you to. That's not what God's calling you to. When I was a kid, um, I had to do chores. I know it's crazy. Kids doing chores. Um, and, and my allowance was my parents allowed me to eat and stay there. And so I really like that allowance. Um, sorry, kids, I'm not trying to give your parents any ideas. Um, but okay, here's a quick poll. Who here would rather do laundry than dishes? You can raise your hands, I won't tell. Who here would rather do dishes than laundry? Who here would rather do neither? Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, I, when, I was, when I was growing up, I was the dishes kid. I was like, Let, I can do dishes for 25, 30 minutes as long as I don't spend all day waiting on the laundry. That's just for me as a kid, like two hours feels like forever. And I was like, you know, 14, so I wasn't really that much of a kid. But um, I just didn't want to do the laundry. I was like, I didn't really want to do the dishes either, but it was the simpler of the two, and I felt like the lesser of two evils. And, and most kids don't want to do chores. I'm sorry, parents. I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with that myself right now. She, Elizabeth isn't like contributing yet. I don't know what's going on. Um, she's only three weeks old. I guess it's okay. But the main reason why kids don't want to do chores is because they don't see the value in it. They just see the responsibility. But now that I'm an adult, 
I like doing the dishes. Why? Because I like having clean silverware and clean bowls and clean plates. Because I live with roommates who never wash their dishes. And so you, you just had to be ready. You didn't know. Like sometimes you use the strainer to like eat cereal really, eat your cereal really fast. You know, you're just like trying to make do. You're like, okay, all right. So race. Don't imagine that. It's really sad. Um, but like I liked having an empty sink. And now that I'm an adult, I realize it's actually important and it's beneficial. I even enjoy doing the laundry now. Why? Well, because my little daughter is a fashionista. She's changing her outfit every 10, 12 times a day. <laughs> Sometimes she spits up on it, you know, I said, whatever. Sorry. When you explain the joke, it's no longer funny. Um, anyways. So as I've, matured, as I've matured, I've realized that there's benefits to the things we do. That, that every responsibility has a reward in it. And that just like that, our commitment and consistency in making this house our home isn't just a responsibility that God calls us to, it's a benefit that God invites you into. It's not just a responsibility that God calls you to, it's a reward that God invites you into. And that may look different for some than others, but the calling is still the same. The calling for all of us is to find a house that God has created and make it our home. This isn't about attendance roles. The reality is, is that church is good for you. I wouldn't do this if it wasn't, if I didn't believe that. You may not believe that, but I believe that. I believe that church is good for us because it reminds us each week we're hit over and over with bad news. And it could be real life bad news. It could be something happened in your family or at work. It could be something happened in your own life. Or it could just be the bad news that's constantly circling around us with the news cycle, with Facebook, all those things. We're hit with bad news over and over and over and over again. We need to be exposed to good news. And church is the easiest way to make sure that happens. Yes, we need to get in our Bible on our own, but we also need the community to remind us of what is true. And so we make this a home we can call around when we stick around and when we work the ground. Look with me again at verse 5. It says this, Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. For the Israelites in Babylon, one of the things they were supposed to do is plant gardens. They're supposed to actually produce something. They're supposed to contribute something. And the reality is everyone in this room has something to contribute. For some, it's leading worship through singing. For some, it's leading worship through playing an instrument. For some, it's leading worship through making coffee. I see you, Joe. For others, it's, it's, it's leading worship through prayer. For some still, it's leading worship through our production teams. The, all these things are necessary. All these pieces are important to what God is doing here. We all have a piece to contribute. And I can speak from experience that a lot of you have very good gifts. Brooke and I have eaten a lot of good food the past couple of weeks. And you guys have blessed us very much. Where's Lois? There you are, Lois. Thank you. I will eat your pie, the pie that you make any day of the week. Um, but not just food, but encouragement, calls and texts and so many good things you guys have blessed us with. Please don't bless me with any more food. I can't take it. Um, and, and so this isn't from a place of critique, but of, but of challenge, challenging all of us to take another step into contributing to the home. That just like chores that need to get done, all of it's beneficial for all of us. That we all need to do our part in the home. If I only let Brooke do everything, I wouldn't have a good marriage or a good home that all of us are called to contribute in whatever way God has gifted you. Here's the good news. If you're not gifted in speaking in front of people, you don't have to do that. If you're not good at singing, I'm not good at singing, you don't have to do that in front of people. But you are good at something. You may not be the best at something, but you're the best at something, but, but you do have something that you're best at. Sorry, let me, 
Walk that back. All right. You may not be the best at something, but we all have something that we're best at. All of us have a piece that we can give, a, a part to play in this thing that God has called church. Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus, says it this way. He says in 1 Peter 4, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So we work the ground. We plant seeds through the ways that we each uniquely contribute. Our sticking around is through our commitment and consistency. Our working the ground is through our contribution. What we each bring to the table to make this house a home to call our own. Here's a reality that I don't know if we've thought about. Whatever God has blessed you with, he wants you to bless others with. Every gift that he's given us, he wants us to give to others. What do I mean by that? You are never the end of the blessing that God is giving. You are always the conduit. We are always the conduit. So when God blesses you with a gift that you have to bring to the table, it's to bless others with. It's to use for the benefit of others. That's what, that's what Peter is saying, is that every one of us has received gifts, spiritual gifts, that we're supposed to bring to the table and use for the best, for the well-being of others. And so whatever that gift is, figure it out. I would love to sit down with you. Pastor, the pastors on this team would love to sit down with you and figure out what that is so that you can see how you can contribute. Not for the sake of you finally doing something, but, but not that you don't do something, let me clarify. Um, but, but, but just that your gift is important. God has given it to you and put you here for a reason. It's not on accident, it's not a mistake. God always blesses us to be a blessing, especially in our homes. So we stick around, we work the ground, and we plant deep roots. Look with me at verse six, it says this. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. When I was uh, in college, sometimes uh, didn't make a lot of money. And I don't know if anyone else has experienced that struggle in your early 20s. Um, but, but sometimes, like, okay, like, am I going to get gas? Am I going to get food? Which, okay, which bill can I skip this month? Like, like the struggle is real. Um, and, and in that moment, I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about what's next. I'm just trying to figure out what's now. But when you finally get that security of, of somewhere you can be, where you don't have to worry about that necessarily, you can begin to think about the future. The, the Israelites, when they're in captivity, are wondering, God, are we going to get out pretty soon? And, and they're, they're just thinking about the now. They're just like, okay, God, when are we going to get out? When are we going to get out? When are we going to get out? And when God tells them, you're going to be there for 70 years, they, they, well, it's time to plant roots. It's time, if I'm going to be here for a while, I might as well make the most of it. And... And for, for us, it looks like this. When Brooke and I were, were talking about, thinking about having a child, we're like, okay, is it feasible? Is it affordable? Like, just trying to make those conversations. But then we thought about this community. We thought about the, the love that you guys show us every single week. We think about church kids, which is doing an amazing job each single, every single week, that, that we would have a community to support us when we had this child. Again, the kindness of you guys have been so, such a blessing to us. So many of you, I remember when I got here five and a half years ago, I remember being like just a fresh out of college kid and you guys supported me and wrapped your arms around me and you listened to me preach even more sermons than this one. And, and you guys have really been with me through this. And I know that you guys love us. And, and because of that, because I have those deep roots, I, I knew I could feel safe having a child. But then over the past couple weeks, another thing crossed our mind. Our hearts broke for those who don't have this kind of community, who don't have this kind of support, who don't kind of have that same homeward feeling. Because God has created us to need that. We all need the support of a house, a place where God can, has called us to be at home, a place for community. And it's not just 
physical birth, it's spiritual birth, it's celebrating baptisms, that we need a community around us to celebrate those things. But it's also the hard things. We need people around us to help us mourn when we lose a loved one. But we also need community just as much in the day-to-day things, when we get a new job, when we finish the school year, when we just had a good week. Planting deep roots, this, this idea of this community, forming this deep community together, that's how we're supposed to live life. Because it's not just about commitment and consistency and contribution, it's also about community. God doesn't just want things from you. He wants you to be with his people. He wants you to feel at home with us. The goal is that every single week you would know that you're loved. This is God's plan for his church to be a home for all to have community. And that looks like we, the community we share in Sunday mornings. It looks like not trying to rush out every single week when it's done. Because we need you. We need you to be a part of it. And maybe you're more introverted, I understand. And so maybe that looks like you being a part of a group, a group or a class on our church. But all of us need community. We don't, it's not just an optional. It's important to us for us to make this our home. But before I move on to the last of my four points, and I know I'm running out of time, so I won't take you too long. But, but just think back about, about this picture, this picture of sticking around, working the ground, and planting deep roots. Just think about that. If all of us made that commitment over the next year, we're going to, make, we're going to do all these things. We're, we're going to stick around. We're going, to, we're going to plant deep roots. We're going to work hard with whatever God has gifted us the ability to do. What about people who may have objections to the faith? Because there are people who have objections to faith. Some of, some of them, their, their objection is experiential. They have church hurt. They've been let down by the church before. And so they're just trying to figure out, is Jesus real or was it just someone who hurt me? And for, for other people, it's moral or intellectual objections. They're just trying to wrestle with, is it true? Does, it, does this even make sense? God gave us brains that work for a reason. We're supposed to wrestle through these things. And, and hear me very clearly. Objections should always be worked through thoughtfully and carefully and never made to feel small or insignificant. Never. That should never be the church's MO or operation. We should never work to make people feel small or insignificant for their objections. Every objection should be worked through thoughtfully and carefully. However, I don't think anyone who's wrestling through these objections would object to that kind of community. I don't think anyone who's wrestling through the hard questions of whether or not Jesus is right or wrong or true or real or any of that, I don't think anyone objects to this kind of community that God is calling us to be. If someone's going to object, let it be something else. If someone's going to object to believing in Jesus, don't let it be the way that we live as a church. If if someone's not going to believe in God, don't let it be because of us. That's what God is calling us to do. As his reflection of his love into the world, may our love reflect that truthfully and carefully and, and very thoughtfully. This home that God is calling us to be, this home that God is inviting us into, is actually the only kind of testimony that cannot be objected to. It's the only testimony that cannot be objected to is the love of God's people for for the world around us. That as we make this house a home to call our own, this hospitality overflows into the lives of others. Hospitality is often thought of as sharing meals, and it's, it's very important for that. But it's also when people are committed for the long haul. It's also when we're contributing for the good of others with with whatever gift we have. It's also developing community that cares for all of life. In In order for us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, we must think through everything and remove every unnecessary boundary from those figuring out faith. Let me say that again because it's so important. We must remove every unnecessary boundary from those figuring out faith. 
We must. The way we live must not be a boundary. The way we interact with each other must not be a boundary. Let no one walk away objecting because of our community. This is what it means to set the table well and to open doors well. Hospitality is what we do, but it's also who we are. As we make this house a home to call our own, those looking on will feel much more at home. When we choose to stick around and work the ground and plant deep roots, those who are wondering what God is like will be able to safely wrestle through it here. Because when we make this house a home to call our own, we will see the fruit. Look with me at verse 7. It says this, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I know I mentioned this a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm from Bakersfield, and I'm sad to say I've never planted anything. I'm ashamed for my people, but <laughs> we still have Bolt House Farms, and they make great carrots. You can thank me later. Anyways, but when I've seen people plant, because I've seen a lot of that, um, digging the ground and putting in the right soil and making sure the water in it is correct level and keeping the insects and pesticides away, it's a lot of hard work. But even if you do everything correct, it takes a long time to see fruit. And the, the truth is, is that in church, even if we commit to all these things, it may take a while to bring fruit. Sometimes God blesses right away. Sometimes God blesses in the long haul. We're not in charge of the blessing. We're only in charge of working hard. It comes from working hard for the good of others. It comes from looking for the ways towards the peace and prosperity of those around our home. It comes from caring about our neighbors enough to make sense of what's going on here. This looks like going beyond the Sunday morning gathering, and that's for another series. But as for Sunday morning, it affects the way we do everything. It affects us to remember that people are coming over. When Brooke and I uh, first got married, we, we would go to the beach a lot. We still do, but we have a kid, so we gotta figure out what that looks like. I know kids, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I love my child. Elizabeth is amazing. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Um, she won't remember this. But when we first got married, we would go to the beach a lot. And so we would, ha we would, we would go and come back. You guys understand how travel works. But when, one time we went to the beach and I got a text from Dean as we were coming back home. And if you don't know who Dean is, Dean is amazing. He's one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Dean, if you're watching, I love you, man. Um, but there was a miscommunication. You see, the week before, he had called me, and he's like, hey, man, uh, I just want to let you know that I wanted to hang out with some friends, but they wanted to like meet in like a neutral location. I knew the friend more than he did, and so he just wanted to meet in a like, neutral place. And I was like, that's okay, yeah, let's do that. I was like, you know, whenever, that, whenever you want to do that, call me and let me know, and we'll figure it out. I said, we won't be back until next Friday, and uh, just call me when you're ready. And so Dean heard, we'll be back next Friday. You should come over on Friday. What I thought I'd said is, call me. We'll be back on Friday. Huge miscommunication. Um, and so we're driving home, and I look down at my phone. I'm not driving. I look at my phone, and I have this look of horror. And I see Dean text me and said, hey, we're coming over tonight. And we're like five minutes away. And I was like, oh, no. My wife and I are really big introverts. Uh, after being around people for a week, we don't gain energy, we lose energy. Even on vacation, we need to recover. Um, yeah, you may see where this is going. But my wife is even more introverted than I am, and she needs even more time to recover. And so we're at Yoshinoya. Corey's not here, but Yoshinoya, he would appreciate that. We're at Yoshinoya picking up dinner, and we're, we're five minutes away from our apartment, and Dean says, hey, we're already here, where are you guys? 
I look over at Brooke and I go, Brooke, this is what's going on. I can just see her confusion and disappointment on her face. Another pro tip, husbands, don't do that. Um, talk to your wife beforehand. Um, I had messed up that evening. I had messed up the evening. I had messed up partially because I miscommunicated and I didn't clarify with Dean. Dean's brain works very differently than mine. I think, oh, he'll call me. He thinks, oh, we're, we're, we're good to go. And, and so the whole night was messed up because of me miscommunicating. And even though we had a good time, we were, had fun hanging out, the reality is it's, it's difficult when you don't know when people are coming over and it's awkward for them. It's difficult for you when you don't expect someone because like we had been gone for a week, the cats had messed up the apartment, we got to sweep it up, clean it up, we're trying to you know, relax and, and Dean and his friend are there and we're having fun, but I could tell that there's some tension between my wife and I and noticeably so and rightfully so because I had messed up, but it was really difficult for us, but it was really awkward for them. And the reality is, is that when we don't expect people to come over, it may be really hard on us, but it's very awkward for them. Well, think about that in our hospitality. If we are at home here, no matter how much we feel at home here, if we're not expecting people to come over, it's going to be really hard on us. People are going to come over and they're not going to know what to do. And we're just going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tell someone to know what to do. I've just always done it. If we don't expect people to come over, it's going to be really awkward for them. And the last thing that, I don't know about you guys, but if something makes me feel awkward, I don't want to go back. Again, this goes back to not setting up bound, unnecessary boundaries. If we're not expecting God to bring people here, if we're not expecting people to come over, it's going to be really hard on us and really awkward for them. You see, just because this is a home for us doesn't mean it's welcoming for others. God is calling us to be welcoming, not just kind to people who show up, not just just generous with our time of talking to people, but actually welcoming, which means we need to rethink everything we do. This will never be the home that God is calling it to be if we don't make room for others. And I believe with all my heart, God wants this to be a home for you. Don't misunderstand me. We're not kicking anybody out. There's never a no vacancy sign on God's home. There's always more room. But the reality is, is that if we don't expect and make room, we're never going to be what God is calling us to be. Judah was in exile in Babylon. They didn't want to be there, and yet God called them to make it home and to love their Babylonian neighbors. How much more is God calling us to love our neighbors? They've never done anything wrong to us. They've never attacked us or hurt us. We're living in such a peaceful reality as a church. So rare in all of church history, by the way. It's so easy for us to be the church in the 21st century in so many different ways. This one little thing is what God's calling us to be, is to be a welcoming people. Because church isn't just a home for Christians. It's also supposed to be a home for those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. But we have to be ready for them. And this is what part of what the call to be home is all about. We've got to stick around. We've got to work the ground. We've got to plant deep roots. But if we are ever going to see the fruit, we have to be ready to make room. As a people called to hospitality, by the same Jesus who called us out of death into life, we must prioritize this calling. Because God is the God who makes room for those who aren't here yet. God is the God who makes room for those who aren't here yet. And as his followers, because of what Jesus has done, we're to reflect that same reality back around us. We're supposed to make it a priority if it's a priority to God. And that is what he's calling us to do. That is what it means to be a people of hospitality, is to always be making more room. Not that it stops being your home, but that you make room for others to call it home too. 
And, and essentially, this is what I'm saying, is that, that as we do this, we'll actually benefit from becoming more like God. If, if the goal of being a Christian is to become more like Jesus, then every step, no matter how painful or difficult, is a blessing. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to think about what does it look like for you to do this? Are you sticking around? Have you committed? Are you consistent? Then maybe that's where God is calling you to, to just take that step. Maybe for you, you're already committed, you're consistent, but you don't know how to, to bring your gift. Come find me after the service. I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. We can set up a meeting, whether it's on a group or in, or in a group or on a team, whatever that looks like. I would love to find that out with you. But maybe for you, you're, you're sticking around, you're, you're working the ground, but, but you're not planting deep roots. You don't have community yet. You don't feel like you belong yet. I also would love to have that conversation because you definitely belong. I just want to find out how to make you feel better at home. And finally, all of us, this is all of us, it doesn't matter how good we've been at doing this before or not, all of us, if we're going to see the fruit, we need to work hard to be the kind of people God is calling us to be. And I want to pray over you because I believe that we can be this church. I would not have preached this message if I didn't believe that Jesus made us capable of this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything if I didn't believe God made it a priority. And it's not just a priority that God has given us, but through his Holy Spirit, he will do it in us if we will submit to him. So I just want to pray over you courage. I want to pray over you wisdom to seek out where you are on this. And maybe if you're here for the first time, you're like, you walked into kind of like a family conversation. I hope you feel welcome. Um, if, you, if you don't know me, I'd love to, to get to know you better. But yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for making room for us. That it, it, you live in heaven, God. You reign over all things, God. You are sovereign and omnipresent, that you're all-powerful and everywhere. God, there's nowhere you can't be, but you choose to be among your people in a more real and t t tangible and glorious way. And so this morning, even as we're gathered, you're already here with us, and you're inviting us to be the kind of people you, you've made us to be. God, the choice is ours. Will we commit? Will we be consistent? Will we contribute? Will we find community? Will we cultivate this calling you've given us? God, I just pray that this morning that, it, that if anyone here feels like they've been judged or feel like there's law thrown at them, that, Lord, that they would shake that off, that they'd realize that's not you, but instead you are the, the father who, who walks his child to, to obedience. You want obedience for us, not because you want to command us to do something just to do it, but you actually know what's good for us. All of your commands are good. And still, God, for some of us, maybe we don't feel at home yet. Lord, would you give us the courage, God, to, to be, uh, take that first step towards community, take that first step towards commitment. Whatever it is we need this morning, God, would you give us your spirit to do it? And Lord, maybe for those who, who, who are trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like for me to make people feel welcome? What does it look like for me to make room for others? God, would you inspire them, maybe with a whole new vision for life that takes into account that you are the God who welcomes people home? But above all, God, we are so grateful for your gift of Jesus, for the work that he's done. God, for the gift that he has given us through his resurrection of new life. And that through that new life, God, you're calling us to be a people. Not just a people, but a house. Not just a house, but a home we can call our own. And Lord, we're thankful for this, this gift that you've given us to be this, this people that you're calling us to be. We thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.